Good morning, Missio. Scripture comes from Luke 5, 27 through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Is it not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick? I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. <laughs> Somebody just said thanks. <laughs> I really appreciate that response. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> My name is Johnny Morrison. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, as Heather said, it is so good to have you. If you've been here before, whatever. No, I'm just joking. We love you. Man, that joke slaps every time. I do it every year. Love it. Uh, it is so good to be with you. Uh, we are starting a brand new series today, as Heather mentioned, entitled Party Crasher. And we're going to be looking at party stories from the book of Luke, parties that Jesus actually attended, parties that Jesus hosted, or parties that sometimes Jesus unceremoniously crashes with his presence. But before we jump into the parties that we're going to look at today, or the party that we're going to look at today, I just want to ask you a question sort of frame the whole thing up a bit. Get your mind in the right headspace. It's a rhetorical question. Just think about it with me for a second. What is the best party you've ever been to? Just think about it for a moment. Let the images swirl in your mind. What is the best party that you've ever been to? And as you think about that party, here's a second question. What made it a good party? Maybe there was great music or great food. Maybe you were celebrating something significant or important. Maybe you were surrounded by people that you love or love you. Or maybe you didn't know anybody there and you made meaningful and significant relationships. Maybe it was just boxed pizza and boxed wine in your backyard. Doesn't in some of my favorite parties have happened with those communion elements alone. What, <laughs> what was the best party you have been to and what made it a good party. I uh, don't want to brag. I do a little bit, but I have been to some very good parties in my life. Some of them have been fancy. Some of them have been simple. A weekend ago, I got to cook 30 pounds of paella in the woods for friends. I've sabered champagne with a butter knife. I've been to long-awaited pregnancy announcements that brought us to tears. Fancy birthday parties, and my wife's 32 second birthday was a Fast and the Furious-themed barbecue. I have been to some good <laughs> parties. But for completely objective reasons, the best party I've ever been to has got to be my wedding. It would have been the best party you'd ever been to, too, if you had been there. We danced all night. The venue had to force us out. And at one moment, this is a true story, one moment, my father-in-law was hefted into the sky by my groomsmen, sent crowd surfing around the room to Sweet Caroline, which is maybe the whitest thing I've ever said, but it is true. <laughs> been to some good parties. Some of them were simple. Some of them were fancy. And here's the reason I bring this up. The reason I want you to think about the best party that you've ever been to and what made it a good party is that Jesus really loved to party. 
Jesus loved to party. Sometimes we forget this about Jesus or we miss this about him. We kind of turn him into a religious other, and we forget that Jesus was deeply human, that he had friends and family, that he loved to eat with people, that he loved to celebrate with people. As Heather mentioned throughout the book of Luke, there are 10 stories of Jesus attending a party. It's not even all the party stories from Jesus' ministry. It doesn't include the wedding at Canaan when Jesus turns water into wine so that a party can keep going all night. It doesn't include his party parables, which Jesus tells many stories about parties. It's just 10 parties that Jesus attended. And at a percentage-wise, I was doing the math, that's about 41% of the book of Luke is just Jesus at a party. Jesus loved to party. He loved to be with people, and he loved to talk about parties. In the book of Luke, if you're reading through the party stories, you also come to these party parables. And one of my favorite is Luke 15, which there's three party stories that just come back to back. Jesus talks about finding a lost coin and how a woman then throws a party for it. And then how somebody loses a sheep, finds it, and throws a party, which is weird things to throw parties for. It'd be kind of like inviting your neighbors over every time you found your missing keys. Like, it's not really a thing you throw parties for. And Jesus is like, I don't care. Throw a party for it. Jesus loves to party. He loves to talk about parties. He loves to make parties a part of his work. And on the final night that Jesus is with his disciples before his crucifixion, Jesus is at a dinner party with his friends and his disciples. And he says, hey, keep doing dinner parties in remembrance of me always. Because when you do this, when you gather at this table, when you break bread and drink wine together, you do declare something about me. So Jesus attended parties, Jesus talked about parties, and Jesus even told his early followers to throw good parties. So what is the deal? Why does Jesus like parties so much? Why does Jesus make parties so essential to his work and his word in the world? Well, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it very beautifully. N.T. Wright writes this. He says, In telling party stories, Jesus is explaining and vindicating his own practice of eating with sinners. His celebratory meals are the equivalent in real life of the parties in his stories. What is more, Jesus is claiming that when he does this, Israel's God is doing it. Jesus' parties show us what God is like. What a wild thing. Jesus' parties show us what God is like. When Jesus tells stories of parties for the least likely of guests, for estranged sons and older brothers and lost sheep and lost coins and missing relatives. Jesus is like, that's what God is like. And when Jesus goes to parties at people's homes that he never should have been in, he's like, this is what God is like. When Jesus crosses boundaries and barriers to celebrate with those who have been rejected or dejected or forgotten from society, when Jesus confronts the religious elites and the proud at their parties, he is showing us what God is like. 
Jesus' parties are a picture of God. We believe that Jesus is the image of God, the exact representation of the God. So if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And when we see Jesus at parties, we are seeing God at parties. As Jesus tells us in the book of John, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And so it means the Father gets down. (laughs) You didn't expect that, did you? So Jesus' parties... Show us what God is like. That is a beautiful idea, but it leads to more questions and some really important questions. Like, is Jesus' parties, and is the party that Jesus hosts and the party that Jesus inaugurates, is the party that Jesus throws, is it a good one? Or to say it differently, if Jesus' parties reveal what God is like, what do they reveal about God? What's the truth that comes through to us in these parties? What do we learn about God from these parties? And I think this is an important question to ask because not all parties are good. Everybody in here has probably been to a party that was not that great. Don't don't look at anybody right now. (laughs) For every good party I've been to, I have been to... A bad one. I've been to parties that had good food and good decor, but were basically fancy sales pitches where you leave being like, was I just sold something? What happened here? I grew up uh, in in high school. I did musical theater. I don't know if anybody here did this. Please don't look poorly upon me. But every musical theater party ended at a piano singing show tunes. Every single one of them. That's a bad party. I'm sorry if you love it. It's a bad party. That's how I knew I shouldn't do musical theater professionally. I was like, I don't like this. (laughs) is <laughs> the thing that we're doing together. All of us in here have probably been to a party that wasn't great. Parties that made us feel like we weren't wanted. Parties that made us feel like we didn't really belong. Parties that made us feel like we weren't really thought of. Maybe we were invited, but there was actually not a seat at the table for us. Or maybe we were invited, but when we got there, we were like, oh, nobody cares to know my name. We've all probably had this experience where we have been to parties that were not full of love or welcome or belonging. So I wanted to ask you what the best party you've ever been to is and what made it good. Because I imagine as you think through that question, there was more to it than food or music. You need more than good food or good music to have a good party. There is something deeper about a really good party that transcends the quality of food. Some of my favorite parties have had terrible food, but I also really like terrible food, so... (laughs) So if Jesus' parties show us God, what do they show us about God? If when Jesus parties, it is a picture of God parting, and when Jesus tells stories about parties, it is an image of what he is up to in the world, is it good? Do we learn something good about God and about the work that God is up to? Is it good or is it just a glorified sales pitch? Is it good or is it just a bunch of weird kids at a piano singing musical theater tunes? 
(laughs) Is it good or is it stingy and exclusive? Is it a place of belonging and welcome and healing and transformation? Is it a good party? That's the question. In our series, Party Crasher, we're going to look at the book of Luke and explore 10 different party stories. And they're all different. They all have different themes and elements. Sometimes Jesus is a guest. Sometimes he's a host. Sometimes he unceremoniously starts a party at someone else's house. And sometimes he is just straight crashing a party. But as we read these stories and pay attention to what's happening, in every single one of them, I think Jesus is challenging our expectations and he is disrupting the lives of everyone involved to show us who God really is and what God is really up to. And this first party story that we're going to look at kind of briefly so that we can get to our own party is a perfect example of this. The text that we had read for us this morning came from Luke chapter 5. And it starts kind of early in Jesus's ministry. He hasn't gathered his friends and disciples around him yet. He's just in that process. And here's how it begins. Luke 5 verse 27. It says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a kiosk for collecting tax collectors. So Jesus is out, just beginning his ministry. It's early stages. He sees this man, Levi, who is a tax collector, sitting at his booth collecting taxes from the people around him. And he says, hey, Levi, why don't you come and follow me? Tax collectors uh, are a fascinating group of people in the biblical story. They live in a weird in-between and kind of tenacious location in the ancient world. If you know your history at all, or if you've been to church, maybe you'll know this. Israel had been conquered by Rome. And so by the time that Jesus is living and doing his work, Israel is an occupied state. Had been conquered by Rome. Rome had set up government there. Rome controlled even the Israelite structures of Government and tax collectors were these Jewish folks who worked for Rome, collecting taxes from fellow Jews on Rome's behalf. And they made their money by taking a small percentage of the tax revenue for themselves. So, say, for example, taxes were like 10% of your income, then a tax collector could be like, well, taxes today are 10.1%. And that 1% would then go to pay for the lives of the tax collector. If you were honest, if you were trustworthy, maybe that number would be low and accurate. But the problem is this tax collector set that number themselves. And so it could be 13% one day because tax collectors were like, I got some bills due. This put tax collectors in a very interesting position culturally and socially. Their Jewish neighbors reviled them, saw them as traitors to Israel, traitors to the nation, people who had sold them out, betrayed them. And we're now literally working for the occupying nation, exploiting their kinsmen. They were often treated as dishonest. Maybe they were. But what's tricky is that they're also not Roman. They're Jewish. They live in an occupied state. They don't get access to all the things that come with being Roman citizens in the same way. They're occupied. They live under an oppressive government. And so they are a people of no one. They belong to no one. They are reviled by everyone, excluded by everyone. They're not Jewish anymore, but they're also not 
thrown them. When Jesus sees this tax collector, this person who does not belong to anyone any longer, Jesus said to him, Levi, follow me. And immediately it says, Levi got up, left everything behind, and followed Jesus. And then this is my favorite part. Then Levi threw a great banquet for Jesus in his home. First action of being a follower of Jesus should be to party. And he says a large number of tax collectors and others sat down to eat with them. Jesus calls Levi, and Levi in response throws a party, and he invites all of his co-workers. It's a weird demographic. But the text goes on to say, when the religious leaders see this, verse 30, the Pharisees and their legal experts grumbled against the disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This is going to be, throughout this series, a constant and reoccurring theme of Jesus' parties. Jesus is going to go and celebrate and enter homes of tax collectors and people who are called sinners, and sometimes even Pharisees and religious experts. But in these interactions, Jesus is going to interact with people who are culturally despised. And consistently, what's going to happen is the Pharisees will grumble. That language will show up again and again. When Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, it's in response to people grumbling that Jesus hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees are grumbling that Jesus is with this tax collectors. And if you know anything about Pharisees, they're an interesting group. They are the exact opposite of the tax collectors. They're well-respected cultural insiders. They get invited to every Jewish party. And they see it as their job as protecting the purity and sanctity of the nation, and for good reason. Israel has been conquered again and again before Rome. It was Greece. Before Greece, it was Persia. Before Persia, it was Babylon. Before Babylon, it was Egypt a second time. The Pharisees see it as their job to protect this community, this thing they love, these people they love. It's their job to steward and to care for. It's so easy to write them off as villains, but you're like, if you look at their story and their history, they're operating out of an actual historic wound. They try to preserve this thing that remains. And when they see Jesus eating with tax collectors, they begin to grumble because they see tax collectors as the ones who betrayed them. We're occupied because of you. We're hurt because you gave in. We're in this position because you compromised on something. They're grumbling for legitimate reasons. And eating with people in the ancient world was a deeply symbolic act. When Jesus eats with tax collectors, it's not just like we're sharing a meal or just having coffee today. It is an act that exchanges status and association. So to eat with a tax collector for Jesus is almost like him putting his own kind of approval on a tax collector, being like, these are my people. And I want to be associated with them. And I want to be included with them. And I think there's something important here. And the Pharisees see this as an affront to what they're trying to preserve. 
To them, tax collectors do not belong. They do not deserve parties. These people have betrayed them and hurt them and compromised. If anybody deserves a party, it's not these people. In fact, these people deserve a party the least of all. When Jesus overhears this grumbling from the Pharisees, he responds saying this very beautiful thing, which I think is the big reveal of this moment and will consistently be the revelation of Jesus' parties. In verse 31 through 32, Jesus answered, Healthy people do not need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to change their hearts and their lives. This is the beauty and the challenge of Jesus' party. For the Pharisees, but if we're honest, also for us. Jesus has come to party with the people we often think deserve it the least. Jesus has come to party and to include at his table the people who are written off, the people who are excluded, and especially the people we believe deserve it the least. Jesus shows us that God's love is indiscriminate. Whatever barriers or boundaries we have established, even the ones that we have established to protect the purity of something, Jesus crashes through to display an indiscriminate, welcoming love. Jesus' party is for those who have been rejected and excluded and left behind by every other party. The author, Brendan Manning, says this really beautiful. He says, Through table fellowship, Jesus ritually acted out his insight into God's indiscriminate love. The inclusion of sinners into the community of salvation symbolized in table fellowship is the most dramatic expression of the gospel and the merciful love of the redeeming God. Jesus hears the Pharisees and the tax collectors complaining, or the Pharisees complaining that Jesus is with tax collectors, and Jesus looks at them and responds, I'm here for them, dog. If you don't think they're welcome at this party, you don't understand good parties. This is not a meritocracy where you work your way into a position at my table. No, this is a family where you and me and them get to belong together because of God's indiscriminate love. This table where all of us are together is the point. This party is never about just desserts or earning a spot. It's never about passing some kind of purity test. It is always about the indiscriminate love of God being witnessed and extended to those who have been forgotten, rejected, excluded, and also to the Pharisees. They're invited too. They're there. This is the craziest thing of the story. They're there at the party. The only reason they can get mad that Jesus is celebrating is because they're in the party not celebrating. It's like in the corner, like, that looks good, but I'm not going to touch it. And Jesus is like, you can. Come and hang out. Come and celebrate your lost younger siblings. Come and experience the indiscriminate love of God at this table. Stop looking down your nose at everybody and start 
celebrating. Jesus' parties reveal the indiscriminate love of God. They reveal the very heart of God, a heart that is for us, that extends welcome to people who are rarely welcomed, that creates spaces for those who have been excluded, that finds lost sheep and missing coins and puts them in a position of honor and says, welcome to the party. We've been waiting for you the whole time. But it is also an invitation to all of us who are Pharisees and religious leaders. It's an invitation to experience that same indiscriminate love. To put down our pride and to come and sit at the table and feast with Jesus. Monsieur, that is what we celebrate every single week as we gather at this table laid out in front of you. We believe that Jesus has laid a table, and as we practice this moment together, we are witnessing to and practicing and extending to ourselves and everyone around us this indiscriminate love of Jesus made So, Monsieur, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to this table to celebrate and to feast. And then we're going to leave this place and head out over there to continue celebrating and continue feasting. But go with this invitation that we all are invited to the table to know and be transformed by the indiscriminate, barrier-crossing, boundary-exploding love of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this first party. That in these short couple of verses, we get to see this beautiful, powerful reveal. Your heart, that God's heart is for us. All of us. Those of us who have been excluded and forgotten and left behind, you are for us. And those of us who have often sat in positions of honor at the table, you are also for us. Would you help us receive your indiscriminate love where it confronts us and challenges us to welcome and to celebrate and where it heals and comforts and guides and speaks words of compassion and mercy over us? Jesus, today, would we be a people who experience that love and extend it with your table to those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.